Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly food oriented podcast. My name is Eric Sandler. I'm the food editor for Culture Map. I'm joined this week by my friend, La Olivier owner, Mary Clarkson. Mary, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you for having me today. Hey, thanks for joining us. Before we get into the news of the week, I just want to talk for just a minute about La Olivier, because I know you just celebrated your five-year anniversary. Could you just tell the listeners a little bit about Give us the 45-second the version of what the restaurant is and where you're located. Sure. We're located in the heart of Montrose on 240 Westheimer. Uh, chef Olivier is Burgundy-born, a three-star Michelin-trained chef that's been in Houston for over 20 years now. He was the former executive chef of Tony's for 12 years, so a lot of people here know him. Uh, our cuisine is definitely French-oriented. Uh, I would say it has a European twist to it. There's a lot of homemade pastas, a lot of Italian uh, European influences, as well as a little little touch of the South. We have a cold bar, raw bar, so a lot of uh, seafood items that are on the menu. A lot of people think French food is is heavy, but actually there's a lot of uh, light seafood dishes on the menu. And then I think the thing we're probably most well-known for these days is our fried chicken and champagne happy hour on Wednesdays, which is a real treat. Uh, Olivier marinades the chicken for four days. It's extra spicy, and it's always kind of a surprise to see people uh, enjoy that for the first time. And you have a great sparkling wine selection, which always goes great with that. Fried chicken. All right. So let's. Uh, it's been a busy week despite the holiday. There were a lot of uh, things going on. I want to hit these. Uh, I want to hit this first item just kind of briefly. Lopez Mexican Restaurant, a Southwest Houston institution, has announced that after forty years of business, they're going to open a second location with Mattress Mac out at the Gallery Furniture location on the Grand Parkway. Mary, have you been to Lopez? Are you familiar with its reputation? I'm familiar with its reputation. I have been. I think this is kind of an exciting. Uh, twist. I don't know how often I'm going to get out to Grand Parkway, but I will definitely go and check it out. Yeah, just a super classic Tex-Mex, you know, great boozy frozen margaritas. Enchiladas are some of the best around. It's just an exciting new opportunity for a family that's been doing things the right way for a long time. Uh, and then I'd like moving on uh, <laughs> a little bit of uh, personnel drama. Omar Perini, the former chef of Pesca has sued them to release him from his non-compete agreement that he signed when he was working there, as well as a name and likeness agreement that allowed them to market him as a personality. Omar has uh, hosted a cooking show on the Latin American version of the Food Network. He's kind of a he's kind of a famous name if you look at his social media following. It's it's pretty extensive. Uh, Mary as a as a restaurateur. Why do restaurants sign chefs to non-competing agreements? Ooh, this is a tough one. Um, my kind of idea about this is a smaller restaurant isn't going to have chefs. They're not going to have chefs sign these as often as maybe a corporate or a larger restaurant that's been around a long time. Um, chefs sign them because they want the opportunity to work for whatever establishment they're negotiating with. And... You know, arguably, they don't have a lot of leverage when they're being asked to sign these. I've always told chef friends of mine, um, don't sign these if you don't have to. Uh, Texas is is a, is a state that is more likely than not not going to enforce an agreement like this. Uh, non-competes are, are very tough and expensive to enforce. Have you ever heard of someone who's subject to a non-compete preemptively suing to be released from one? That was a new one for me. Ooh. No, you know, I mean, the last one that I kind of remember, and you wrote about it, um, was was Bobby Matos, I believe. Right. When he, when he left Chow Bello to go to State of Grace, Tony Vallone filed suit against him, but it was dismissed pretty quickly. It was dismissed pretty quickly, and Bobby had the benefit of having partners, uh, you know, investors in his restaurant that could afford attorney's fees, which quickly helped settle the matter. A uh, chef preemptively doing it, I think that's probably attributed to uh, this chef's particular background that he was already very, very well known before. And he needs to be able to use his name and likeness in the future because 
that's he's he's already established and he's well known, so he wants to protect that. Um, I just I, I get scared a little bit for for these chefs when they sign and then find themselves in this type of situation. But he's protecting his name, and it's worth protecting. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that you know Pesca changed directions. It had been a, a very seafood oriented restaurant. You know, they brought in some new operating partners, changed to more of a steak and seafood concept. And that's, you know, as I understand it, that's what prompted Omar to elect to leave. As a, as a restaurateur, as, why, would you, why would you seek to enforce a non-compete when it's not like Omar's going to go open a steakhouse and compete with you? I think, you know, if anything, I mean, for me, it's... It's almost considered, I guess, a form of punishment in a sense, especially if he's not if he's given them assurances that he's not going to go open a similar concept. Perhaps they're worried about him opening just any type of concept nearby, and that's maybe what they want to pre- prevent. I don't know if there was a, a mile radius on this, but a lot of times there's a circumference that they can't operate within three miles of the restaurant or yeah, something no, like this that. Yeah, no, this one's pretty punitive. It's, it's within... Uh... As, as I recall reading the document, it's within the city limits of Houston or 20 miles outside of it, which seems like a lot. Yeah, me. I mean, so another background of me is I'm an attorney. So um, a judge is not likely going to enforce such a general, uh, wide, encompassing area um, limiting a chef's ability to work. Um, we'll see what happens. But judges like non-competes and name and likeness agreements to be very narrowly tailored. And this doesn't seem like it fits that criteria. Yeah. When I, when I spoke to the restaurant's attorney, he said, look, just, we just want to know what Omar wants to do. And then we'll tell him whether or not we think that's okay. Yeah. That's not a fun place to be if you're the chef. Right. If you're trying to get a new business off the ground, better to get the whole thing struck and just start clean. Right. Absolutely. And then this one, this one stings a little bit. I know we've, we've talked quite a bit about uh, Hunky Dory and Bernadine's closing, but we haven't really gone into the, the details of the matter. And, of course, they closed last week. Mary, you and I had several good meals at both restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. What are you going to miss? We'll, we'll get into the, the business implications and, and some of the other speculation here in a minute. But, but just as a, as a pure obituary, what are you going to miss about Hunky Dory and Bernadine? Oh my gosh, kind of getting chills just thinking about it. Um, Graham Graham was and is a fantastic chef. Uh, You and I had an amazing meal there. You took me there the first time uh, that I was able to go there. And just the I-10 platter, the seafood that he put together, um, his presence in the dining room, such a talented chef. I'm excited to see what's next for him, but I will miss his presence in that dining room. And as far as Richard Knight goes, we've been friends with Richard since his days at Feast uh, across from our restaurant on Lower Westheimer. And he used to come and have a drink at the bar after he was done and many memories speaking with him in the past. And I was so excited for him to have his own uh, restaurant there. Um, the bar at Hunky Dory was particularly memorable for me. Uh, their selection uh, was was extremely good as far as uh, whiskeys and scotches and everything else, bourbons that they had. Um, the patio I really liked, the tre- use of the trees and the natural landscape, and the fact that these buildings were built from scratch. It's not often that a restaurateur gets the ability to uh, envision something completely from scratch and work with some of the best architects and designers. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I will miss all of those things. Uh, I'll miss that ridiculous uh, cochon de lait that had like four different parts of pig cooked separately and then fused together and seared so it was crispy on the outside. Um, you know, I had family events at, at Hunky Dory. You know, I took uh, awkward first dates to both restaurants. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it was kind of a go-to for me. And, and you know, a lot of a lot of really hardworking people were negatively affected by what happened with uh, Treadsack's financial difficulties, and it's unfortunate. Almost all of them that I'm aware of have gone on to other opportunities. But, you know, that sense of this incredible collection of talent in one space at one time, you know, it may be a while before we see a restaurant that replicates something quite as ambitious as, as to open two completely separate restaurants on the same property with that much talent in the building. 
I mean, Eric, just to give you an idea, so we just celebrated our five-year anniversary, and, you know, Chris Kuzak, one of the owners of Treadsack, opened Downhouse around the same time that we opened. And so, you know, Chef Olivia and I are are focused on our restaurant, but within that five-year time span, plus or minus, he went on to open up all of these concepts and to see um, the fruition of Hunky and Do- Hunky Dory and Bernadine's come to such an abrupt end is is a really really tough thing. So, do you have a sense maybe of where Treadsack goes from here? I mean, they're they're down to it, it's kind of been a weird reset because they're basically back where they started um, in 2014 with Johnny's Gold Brick, DNT Drive-In, and Downhouse without the the other concepts that opened up during. Uh, 2015 and the beginning of 2016. You know, I don't know what's next for them, but it's largely going to depend on on how these entities were formed, and I don't know all the details about that. It does look that like Johnny's Gold Brick is in a different entity than uh, DNT and um, Downhouse, so that will probably give them the best chance um, going forward. And it's honestly one of my favorite bars. I drink there probably. Once a week, uh, the bartenders there are fantastic. Uh, Downhouse and TNT, who knows? Um, I guess that will be up to the bankruptcy judge, but I'm sure many residents of the Heights will hope that they come out on the other side of that. Yeah, I mean, certainly Downhouse has been a neighborhood institution almost since the day it opened. You know, it was originally envisioned as kind of a coffee shop with a, a bar component, and they figured out real quickly that they had opened a restaurant instead of a coffee shop, and it's just been you know, one of those reliable go-tos, especially for, I mean, weeknight dinners, especially for brunch on the weekends, of course. Uh, Vice President Joe Biden ate there a couple of years ago. Yeah, just for lunch even. I mean, I, whenever I'm in the Heights and I have meetings and I need to schedule it somewhere central, I mean, I would have a lot of lunch meetings at Downhouse. It's a it's super great spot. It's conveniently located. I just, you know, I hope that, I hope that the remaining concepts make it because I think they've made a big impact in the neighborhood. And then... You know, certainly you, you've opened a restaurant in Montrose, and it's a, it's a different neighborhood in terms of diners' expectations and what works and what doesn't than what happens in the Heights. But, but as you said, you're a, a frequent Heights visitor. Yes, Do you have a sense of what you would like to see replace Hunky Dory and Bernadine's? Oh, my gosh. So the tricky, the tricky component for that restaurant is – that they have a shared um, private dining room, and I believe that their kitchens are completely separate. So I guess going forward, it's going to be, you know, whether one operator is going to come in there and take the whole thing. And the only, you know, type of concept I think that needs that much square footage or can make that work would be a steakhouse-type concept, perhaps. Um, And then the other alternative is, you know, chopping it up into a couple of different spaces and maybe making it more casual, which I think that's more of the style diner that's in the Heights um, these days is uh, casual. I don't know that a, a high-end steakhouse would be the right uh, fit for that for that building, but it's such a beautiful space. All right, so Eater Houston published a rumor this morning that Ford Fry, the chef from Atlanta who owns State of Grace, I, I should say, he's a Houston native, but his success his career has been in atlanta uh has is looking at the building there's a there's a room that rumor is is out there does that is that something you would be interested in a new concept from ford fry i think that would be fantastic i mean state of grace i know is one of your favorite restaurants it's just a few blocks from my house um they did a beautiful job with the design i could see them actually taking over the space and not having to do a whole lot to make it make it their own uh I just wonder if they'd take the whole space or um, if they would, would only want a part of the space. All right, so, so here's the other rumor. This is what Eater didn't publish, but this is what I'm hearing from my sources in the restaurant world. And I, I will emphasize that this is strictly rumor territory. This is not, this is not guaranteed. And, and for the record, <laughs> Ford Fries people have said, yes, we're looking at the building, but we don't have a deal yet. And so we all know that could fall apart at any second. And, and by the time this podcast comes out i could be i could be totally wrong but ford has a couple of tex-mex concepts in atlanta that do really well and the rumor circulating in the restaurant community is that he might be bringing those one of those to the building that used to house hunky dory and bernadine's 
Are you interested in eating Ford Fry's Tex-Mex? Ooh, I don't know anything about his Tex-Mex. Um, he's from Houston, so that makes me want to believe in him a little bit more than I would just somebody from Atlanta and not knowing their background. Uh, those spaces are so elegant. I don't... Uh, I, I'd hate to see somebody take a sledgehammer to them and make it into a Tex-Mex spot, but maybe it's upscale and he can keep the interiors intact. Yeah, I don't if know. It's, if it's more like an El Tiempo style Tex-Mex or maybe a Nifas on Navigation Tex-Mex. I'm thinking Caracol and like upscale, like aesthetic. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. That's that's the rumor. As I said, you know, the, the difficulty in recording these in advance and releasing them a few days later is sometimes... Fast moving events overtake us, but you know I'll either look like a, a psychic or an idiot. Uh, it's like in your a ver- few days. It's your version of page six rumors, right? <laughs> You're listening to what's Eric eating. So let's move on from news of the week to restaurants of the week. You and I had uh, dinner together a couple weeks ago at a new restaurant in Chinatown that's attracting a lot of buzz. It's called Chengdu Taste. It comes to Houston from Los Angeles. And it's a Szechuan-style restaurant. Certainly, you know, Mala Szechuan has made a huge splash. Um, Pepper Twins, originally known as Cooking Girl, has made a huge splash in Montrose. So Szechuan-style cuisine is hot, literally. Uh, If you've eaten (laughs) a lot of it, you understand what I'm talking about. And also, figuratively, it's done very well here in the city. And Chengdu Taste is ranked the 25th best restaurant in Los Angeles by uh, Los Angeles Times critic Jonathan Gold. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner, so he definitely knows what he's talking about. Uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt, the author of The Food Lab on Serious Eats, a a cookbook author and food writer, called Chengdu Taste, the best Szechuan restaurant in America. Mary, when we were eating there a couple of weeks ago, did you feel like you were in the presence of greatness? I was so incredibly ecstatic it was one of the best meals um i've had this past year and literally every single dish that we ordered i was pleased with i mean some of the dishes were unexpected but everything was out of the park i mean they nailed it do you remember did you have a favorite i did i it's probably not going to be your favorite but my kind of rule of thumb for restaurants is that if they can't do the basic things really well they're not going to do the obscure things really well so for the basic dishes that I really, really liked, the Kung Pao chicken was the best I have ever had, period. Yeah, I'm, you know, I was a little bit skeptical when we decided to order that, but, you know, the chicken was juicy, had a ton of peanuts, it had it had all of that mala, that tingling sensation you get from the Szechuan peppercorns. It was a really good dish. Uh, for me, it was the toothpick lamb, which is kind of a signature item for them. Yeah. Um, little bite-sized pieces of lamb, literally served on toothpicks, I would... I would hate to be the prep cook whose job that is to individually toothpick the lamb. Um, but with this cumin heavy rub, just had that like good lamb funk, not in a bad way with the, the spice mix. It was just, that was a dish I could not stop eating. The fish soup was really good. And I forget the exact ingredient component yeah, it of it. It was, it's the water boiled fish with like a green peppercorn, a green Sichuan peppercorn broth was very memorable. Fantastic. I did like that we were able to go uh, next door and purchase drinks and then bring them over. So the fact that it was BYOB was a nice plus. Yeah, it's BYOB. It's located right next to H Mart uh, on Bel Air in Chinatown. It used to be a banana leaf location. Uh, This restaurant opened so quietly, it doesn't even have a Houston Facebook page. Never mind a website. No reservations. No reservations. (laughs) Uh, And and it it was flying a little bit under the media radar. When we got there at eight o'clock on a Saturday night and it was still at an hour wait, uh, the article on Culture Map absolutely exploded in terms of the number of people it reached on Facebook. Uh, the most popular thing I've written probably in a couple of months. So that wait may be even a little bit longer now. If you're curious to try it, I might suggest trying to hit it for lunch if you can, or certainly going earlier in the dinner hour. But, you know, that water boiled fish, the toothpick lamb, the, the, 
How did you feel about the cold rabbit dish? That's my last question, and we'll move okay. On. So the the cold rabbit dish, I loved everything about it, except I didn't know that it was going to be coming out cold. <laughs> and so the first bite that I took, I was like, "Oh, okay, that's different." Uh, but the flavors were great, and I actually took some of the sauce when we got the fried rice and poured it over the fried rice, and that was excellent. Yeah, this is rabbit in uh, Little Sister's Secret Sauce. It's one of the very first dishes on the menu. It's something they're known for. The temperature caught me <laughs> off guard too, but that sauce is so spicy and addictive that I, I fought my way through it. Um, we've talked about some of the changes going on in the Heights, but let's talk about a couple of new openings. Talking about Heights Beer Garden and King's Beer House. Now, Heights Beer Garden is the new concept from the owners of Wooster's Garden in Midtown. Uh, very much a bar in the sense that there's the, the Heights Beer Garden side that has almost 100 taps and including beer, wine, uh, and then it has the Wooster's Annex. It's uh, a cocktail bar, but it has a pretty significant food component. Uh, Brandon Silva, who's worked for both Holly's and Uchi, is the culinary director for the Kirby Group. That's the company that owns Heights Beer Garden. He's got a pretty extensive menu. And then King's Beer House is the, it's near, uh, it's in Lazy Brook Timber Grove. It's right near Rainbow Lodge. That's kind of an evolution from King's Beer Garden in Pearland. has a beautiful landscaped outdoor seating area, a true German-style beer garden, um, and, of course, 40 taps of its own with a ton of German beer, German food, sausages, schnitzel, more. Let me, let me kind of start with, let me start at the beginning. What do you think of Heights Beer Garden? Okay, so Heights Beer Garden will definitely be a playground for me. I mean, I think it's for adults. Um, they say that they're open to all people, families included and everything else. And I think that's awesome that they're being inclusive. But I think the reality of it is it's a great place to go with your friends after work or on a date night. Um, I like that it's not just a beer garden, uh, that there's a, a really heavy cocktail component to it. So one side's cocktails and the other side's beer. Um, I like that they have both. And uh, their chef is fantastic. So I'm excited that they have food, but that's probably not the number one reason I'm going to be going there. I'm going to be going there for their for their cocktails and for their outdoors. They've done a fantastic job with the outdoors. They've got the misters and the fans and umbrellas. And um, I love the location and the people behind this group. And I, it's kind of a spot I would go there with my friends. Um as opposed to King's Beer House, I would also go there with my friends, but I think it's more family-friendly uh, and more of a restaurant than a bar, uh, whereas I think Heights Beer Garden is more of a bar and a restaurant secondarily. But their German beer list at, uh, at um, King's Beer House is exceptional. Yeah, I mean, they have, uh, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it justice. They have the, the Vetus that has been called once upon a time a couple of years ago the best beer in the world. It's a... It's kind of a triple Hefeweizen. It's $12 for a half liter, which <laughs> I, I'm sure is kind of what it costs. But but that was the one thing about King's Beer House that was surprising to me was, you know, I had a I had a schnitzel, I had an order of chicken wings, and I had a beer. And with tax and tip, it was almost 50 bucks. That's the one thing about that place is it is it it feels great. I mean, when you're sitting out in that beer garden, there's a fountain. There's it's fully landscaped. It's beautiful. Just the pricing sneaks up on you just a little bit. It does. I think it's a little deceptively expensive, but if you're really into the German beers, it's worth it. Um, I was there for happy hour, and I think it was maybe a dollar off beers, um, something like that. Uh, I do remember Heights Beer Garden. Their happy hour probably, to me, is one of the best in the city. Yeah, their happy hour is fantastic. It's half off house cocktails, half off glasses of wine, and I think it's... I want to say it's $5 drafts, but it could be $3 drafts. I think it's three. I, I We'll have to check. But Yeah, they're both on. They're both. Both Heist Beer Garden and Wooster's Annex Happy Hours are on Culture Map right now in our, our newest Happy Hour Roundup. So you can check that out uh, for all the details. Um, Mary, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I'll be back in a minute with Ryan Lachane from Riel Restaurant in Montrose. He and I are going to talk about what it's been like to go from sous chef to chef owner, uh, the changes that he's made over the first six months of that restaurant, some other topics. Uh, Mary, before you leave, why don't you tell us where we can find you 
on the web and on Instagram and all those places? Sure. Uh, so our website is lalivierhouston.com. And Instagram, uh, same thing, Houston. We're big um, supporters of Instagram. We love the images that come through from Chef in the Kitchen and on the floor with our wine list. Uh, every day we kind of have a wine pick of the day and many more features. So Instagram, Facebook, and on our website. And, of course, the nice thing about your Instagram account is we get a little bit of glimpse in your personal life every now and then, <laughs> uh, usually after a couple of cocktails. So that makes you a particularly fun follow. Yes. You can, of course, follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Follow Culture Map on Instagram. It's Culture Map everywhere you want to go. And, of course, I'll have more news, notes, everything that's going on in the world of Houston restaurants. Uh, please, if you haven't, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a comment and a rating, but like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. I'll be right back with Ryan Lashane. Stay tuned. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? My guest this week is Ryan Lashane. He's the chef owner of Riel Restaurant, which opened in January in Montrose. Ryan, before Ryan opened his own restaurant, he worked at Reef, he worked at Underbelly. He's a former minor league hockey player, a man of diverse talents. Ryan, welcome to What's Eric Eating? How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Ryan, I want to, I just want to kind of start at the beginning. I think Riel has emerged as one of the, the restaurants people are really talking about as one of the more promising new restaurants that's open this year. How did you develop the ideas? Well, first of all, just tell, Tell people who maybe haven't been there a little bit about what Riel is. Um, you know, we're a small, I guess you'd call it modern American restaurant. Um, we're 65 seats, open six days a week, dinner only, um, small menu, 15 items. So I think what makes the menu so interesting is that you take the kind of southern Gulf Coast thing that, that certainly Reef and Underbelly are both known for, and you put your own spin on it by blending it with your Canadian heritage or your Canadian upbringing and your Ukrainian heritage. How did that come together? How did it, how did you make a menu where you have Japanese Gulf fish karage and pierogi like sitting right next to each other? You know, when we developed the, the menu, um, we just decided that, you know, we we're just going to, to do what we wanted to do. Like we're there, you know, I don't think there's, there's one, you know, there, the, the word Ukrainian gets thrown around the word French Canadian gets thrown around that kind of stuff, but we're going to, you know, they were going to do what we want to do. We, we, we find the ingredients and as a staff myself, um, you know, my, my sous chef EJ and the cooks, we, we do what we think is right with it. Um, you know, I was adamant on having things that, that were, were near and dear to me, like pierogies and, um, um, borscht in the menu, things that I grew up eating that I, I like to eat. Um, so that's, you know, kind of where that came from. And, you know, things like a torche that, that um, you know, are very, very um, Canadian uh, or other things. But, you know, as, as far as the, the Southern stuff and, and the Japanese stuff goes, like I said, when we get the, um, the ingredients in, we let them kind of, you know, speak to us and we figure out what we can uh, or how we can utilize them best. Have you been, or, or let me put it to you like this. What dishes on the menu have been the most successful? What what's been the biggest surprise for you? The you know the hanger steak and the pierogies is our, is our biggest seller. You know it's our, our steak and potatoes kind of uh, take, and um, that's what we sell the most of every night. Like we we sell you know on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we we sell thirty plus of them. You know plus the pierogies too. We sell them individually. There's there's a weekend. I think we sold like you know a hundred and something individually so it's just like bowls of pierogies going out there i never thought in a million years it was it would be like that but yeah we, we sell a lot of pierogies there and then are there ideas that you've tried that maybe people haven't responded to or, or what's that learning process been like well there's you know there's i think it's like anything else like um you know when you're working at other restaurants you know especially when i was at underbelly and that we changed the menu so much and there's there's these dishes you put together that you think are just going to kill it that you love and no one really cares about them and you can't you know you don't understand it but that's just you know that's just the way it is um we were pretty even starting off across the board of how much stuff we sold you know the menu is very small so um a lot of people get a lot of things on it 
um, with the exception of, you know, the caviar or the, the, the big steak. Um, but you know, the, the things, like I said, the, uh, you know, the pierogies, the steak, the cauliflower is another huge seller for us, the, the tempura cauliflower, which we kind of put on there as something, like I said, we wanted, um, something kind of like chicken wings. So there's a hot sauce with the tempura kind of thing and some carrots and, uh, and celery. And we, we also sell a lot of that too. We also put like, um, a fried rice dish on the menu with some duck confit and some egg yolk and some duck liver and that, that is one of our, our best sellers now as well. And I know you've recently rolled out a happy hour menu. How's that going? And, and how is the bar kind of doing as a separate component from the restaurant? You know, the happy hour, it's, it's slowly coming along, you know, it's kind of hit and miss. I, I think happy hour is something you kind of have to earn in a neighborhood like that, you know, where, um, and I'm sure a lot of people that were in the neighborhood we're, uh, we're going to Mockingbird and, and things. And now that that's not around anymore, we're hoping that maybe they'll, they'll come over and, and, uh, and try us out. But it's, you know, sometimes we're really busy and sometimes, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple people in there. So it's, it's only, you know, what, a month old. So we're not, we're not too worried. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the neighborhood has really embraced it. I know Jennifer Caswell was on the podcast recently. She said you had people bringing you cookies. Yeah. When we were, um, when we first were open, we weren't even open yet, but we, uh, myself and, and Chris Fleischman and, and, uh, and my Sue EJ were there. We, you know, we're doing some late nights, doing some work, stocking the bar. And uh, one of the neighbors would bring us cookies. We'd hear a knock on the door at like 11, 30, 12 at night, and she'd just kind of open the door and hand us some cookies to eat. So it was nice. So, but now that you've opened, are, are there still cookies coming? Or there's that... not, there's not as many cookies coming these days, but <laughs> that could, that could be that there's more cars in the neighborhood now. Yeah. She may not be totally. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I do think you are playing an interesting role because you're not, you're on Fairview. You're not on Westheimer. Mm-hmm. So you really need that neighborhood. You're either going to be a destination, which I, I think for, for people who are passionate about food, they've been seeking you out. But you do need that neighborhood support. I mean, just like Roost has it, they're right down the street. And, and to a lesser extent, just like Polly's does, because they're right around the corner. You know, the neighborhood has been awesome to us. Um, even on, on nights where we're um, a little bit slower on the books, um, we have, like, literally people walk over, like, walking in, like, from all of the neighborhoods. So, you know, we've, um, we've doubled our cover some nights from people just walking in the neighborhood. And we have, you know people that are coming in now, you know, two times a week, three times a week to eat. So yeah, the neighborhood's been great to us. been very, very good. Uh, and I have to ask you about the caviar just because it's so, it's so decadent. It's, it's, well, just tell people about, I, I hate that. Tell me about, or talk about the blah, blah, blah. It's so lazy, but, but please describe the caviar preparation so just we, because I think it's so over the top. We do, um, we do three types of caviar. We do, um, you know, we do, an American caviar, a Russian caviar, and a Siberian caviar. And we do like the classic kind of like um, accoutrements with it or whatever, you know, like we do the egg yolk, the, the past egg white, and um, and some capers. And we then we use cultured butter. So we, just, we culture our own butter there, which I, I, know I think is, gives it a nice touch. And um, with some buckwheat bellinis. It's one of those things you either sell a lot of them or you don't, you know. Is that one of those things where if, if one table orders it, then like two or three more tables? Yeah, follow you know, you see it go out. It's kind of a, you know, it's on it the goes big out piece. on a giant wooden plank. Yeah. yeah. So um, usually one goes out, a couple more will go out. But uh, it's it's a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, instead of doing champagne with it, we uh, we have some uh, some vodka we keep in the freezer. We keep it ice cold. So we do like ice cold vodka with it. Kind of more like um, like a Russian kind of caviar service thing. And then the big steak, it's changed a couple of times. What is the current... What is the current steak that you're serving? For we're, doing, um, we're doing a bone and ribeye now. Um, and uh, man, I forget how much it weighs, but yeah, it's, it's like a 40 something. It's steak, a, it, right. It's a commitment. That's what it's a commitment. Like if you're going to order it, it's a, it's a lot of food. You know, there's, there's some carrots and green beans go with it. And we do the, uh, um, you know, the Bernays, the, the barbecue sauce and the hotel butter with it. And a couple couple fried eggs. And usually people just, they, they add on like six pierogies with it too, just to, yeah, just because it's not calorically it's enough not, of a commitment. It's not enough, yeah. But I, I think what's so interesting is there's no tricks, right? You don't sous vide it. You don't. Well, we do sous vide it. We have them. We have them bagged up in sous vide, and that's basically just because um, we're not a big restaurant. We have a big giant grill. Um, it's just to pick it up a little bit quicker, um, you know, because you know we're limited back there. <clears throat> excuse me, with our size. 
we have to um we have to do some stuff like that. So it's not like a trick we're receiving or nothing, but yeah, we keep it to a certain temp and then we Yeah, but it then it gets it gets pan seared, right? I mean I've I've seen EJ work in that thing. Works so we do it on the grill. Okay. But is that are you surprised by how popular that's been, or is that? Uh... I don't. I'm, I'm not surprised. I know I was adamant on having one, sh- at least one shareable item on the menu. Um, so no, I'm, I'm not su- surprised. It's uh, you know, I think it's good. I think it's a, it's a good deal. I don't think it's it's really that overpriced. I mean, it's like I said, it's it's a lot of food. And then, you opened in winter. We're moving into summer. How do you see the menu evolving to match the seasons? We're. Um, we're not overhauling it, but we have maybe, you know, four or five different things that are coming on in the next week or so. We've already changed, you know, two or three things. Um, you know, we, we were still getting a lot of carrots and a lot of things. There's that freeze there, so we kind of had a second season of carrots and some root veg and turnips and that kind of stuff. So we, you know, continue to use those. But there's, you know, there's, we're, we're getting some tomatoes and some corn. So in the next, you know, little while, there'll be, there'll be quite a change on it. Are there ingredients that you're like just kind of biting your time, like excited that you get to use? I'm, I know I love eating corn, so I'm, I'm waiting for the corn to come in and the corn to be good. And also, you know, tomatoes and, and stuff like that. We can really, you know, freshen things up and, and lighten things up. Uh, and then the other thing is you've, you've been kind of working your way through the review cycle. The reviews have been pretty positive overall. When you, what's been your impression reading them or, or how, what's it like to see, your restaurant through other people's eyes you know it's different i don't you know you try not to to take you know anything to harden that but sometimes it's tough you, you you put a lot of you know a lot of time and effort and you know not only myself but like other people's are sacrificing for you to do this kind of stuff so obviously you want you know you want a, a good review you want you know those stars or people that write positively about it but i understand things can't be um you know everything can't be can't be positive but you know I, I stand behind what we do there. And I, I think, you know, those guys that cook there and, and, and work, they're doing a good job, but you know, you can't, you can't make everybody like it. Have you, have you read a specific criticism where you're like, yeah, that's legit. We need to change that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And no. Um, you know, there's some stuff that I think, yeah, like maybe this is one of the weaker dishes on the menu. Um, you know, and there's there's things I think that are that we do there. We we all cook very aggressively there. There's a lot of vinegar and there's a lot of acid and things, and we're in your face. So you know, maybe some people think it's 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 salty or this and that, and I would tend to disagree on some of it. But you know, to each his own. One of the things that Nathan Ketchman and I talked about a few weeks ago is we're we're trying to identify the next generation. You know, now that. Chris Shepard and Justin Yu and Hugo Ortega have won their James Beard Awards. We're trying to sort of identify the next chefs from Houston who could potentially earn that kind of recognition. Your name keeps coming up. That's, I think that's great, and it's it, it's it's nice nice to hear. You know, we were working hard to to you know to move forward to something like that. I mean, do you? How do you? Is there? I mean, do you feel like that's? Is that a process that you can control or do you just like go to work and serve good food every day? I don't, I don't think it's something that we can really control. I, I think at the end of the day, you just have to go to work and, and cook and, and try to make good food and, and what's going to happen is going to happen. Like I said, I can't, I can't make everyone like everything I do. You know, I, I, you know, we, we want everything like that, but I, if you don't like it, you don't like it. And that's it. And if someone important comes in and doesn't like it, then that's, that's that, you know, um, it's also a business. We have to run a business here. So, you know, running after all that kind of stuff is, is nice, but I, I have to pay the bills. The lights have to stay on. I mean, you did a lot of traveling both during your time as a cook and, and then before the restaurant opened. What did you, what did you see that sort of helped prepare you for this? You know, you can learn, I know I, I stage a lot of different restaurants and I've been very fortunate to cook with a bunch of different people and, um, and, um, you know, work with guys and talk to guys. And I don't, I, you know, honestly, I can't think of anyone that has said or done anything negative. Like out of all the things I've done, like I've, I think I've met anyone that, that, that's, you know, kind of been shitty to me and they've all been really good guys. I've got a lot of good, you know, advice, um, and stuff and and i keep in contact with a lot of guys so it's 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 been great so you know you can learn you know you learn different things and i try to take the positives and the negatives 
from all these different, you know, experiences I could have. Is there like a, is there like a text chain of like Indie Chefs Week uh, alumni that are trading tips or uh, suggestions? I don't know. There, there is. Um, I don't know how many of us are still on there. Maybe there's there's 15 guys or something from the first Indie Chefs Week in Austin. I did. Um, um, I don't know if there's 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 tips. There's just a bunch of banter and a bunch of guys, you know, talking shit and stuff like that mostly. <laughs> um, what? What's it like for you to go from from the guy who was sort of behind the scenes and and working for other people to being in charge? What's been the the biggest change in your day to day? Well, run, you know, trying to run a business is is the hardest part. Like it's like, you know, cooking's pretty easy and it's fun and it's it's the you know it's it's the best part of it. You get to go to work and cook and do all these cool things, but you know trying to run a restaurant and be a businessman is it, it's tough there's a lot of things that you know you just you just don't know um you know stuff's expensive as a sous chef coming in you know to restaurants when you're opening them you 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 know you show up there and basically everything's bought and all you have to do is is make sure your food costs and your and everything is is going well and 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 that kind of stuff and besides that you're just kind of cooking but you know, now I have to worry about the leak in, in the roof and, you know, paying the bills and making sure this happens and making sure, you know, all this stuff happens. So it's, it's, it's an eye opener and it's a whole different side that, um, you know, I guess you have to know as, as being a business owner. What, what was the, like the one biggest expense that you were like, I can't believe that's what this costs. Tables and chairs. I, 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 I could not believe that tables and chairs cost, cost so much money. Like literally we saw some chairs like, man, that chair's awesome with that 300 bucks. I'm like, like each. <laughs> like chairs are, is it made of gold like chairs are 300 dollars. i couldn't believe it but yeah it's it, it's something that you don't you know you don't have in your budget that you don't know um you no know, there's, there's 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 so many things that that are so you know, expensive that you need to have that you just kind of gotta figure out and what's it like sort of leading the kitchen or or are you you're, you're sort of are you cooking less? Are you mentoring more? Like, what's that process? I cook. I I cook way less. You know, I'm very very fortunate. I have, I landed a very good staff. That's, you know, very hard to come by these days. You know, I have a lot of, of veteran guys in there. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is, you know, when we, you know, started doing our menu. I had an idea of what I want. I want this, 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 this. And there were some things that I've done before that I know what to make. And I could say, hey, guys, like, this is what I want. Let's make them or I can make it once. And, you know, it's done. Or now that we're changing the menu, you know, these are the ideas I have. And guys are, are, are coming up with they can do it just as good as me or sometimes better. So having that staff there is, like, invaluable to me. It, it, it opens up more time for me to deal with other things with my, you know, the business aspect of, of um of owning a restaurant and then are you how do you sort of balance like maintaining your creative vision with giving the people who work for you kind of their own opportunity to shine you know i i tell those guys like i i expect them to to um to bring something to the table it's part of their job um and i don't want the restaurant to be stagnant where we're just doing the same thing over and over again like i don't want the guys to be robots in there I, I tell them like, you know, here's what's going on. If, if they, I try to give these guys everything they can to do their job properly, you know, um, number one, so they, you know, they have the opportunity to, to do something. And number two, so there's no excuses and they can say, well, I don't have this or I don't have that. If they want some, they want an ingredient and they're going to make something, then they get it. Are you satisfied with kind of your, you're not quite six months in, are you kind of where you thought you'd be? Are you, are you busier than you thought you'd be kind of where, where are you overall? Um, you know, when we, we opened up kind of quick and we were a lot busier and we got a lot more, um, you know, press in that than I, than I thought we would, which is, which is really, really nice. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you, you start off and everything's great and that, and, and now we're kind of just, you know, it's like, I don't want to say the honeymoon's over, but you know, we're, it's like, okay, now we have a restaurant here and this is what has to happen and blah, blah, blah. You know, we we're, we, we're kind of getting our legs a little bit We're you know, it's not just we go in there and we work a hundred hours a week and, and you know, you're just, everyone's all hands on deck. So we're slowly figuring it out. And, and like I said, I, I can't complain. We, we haven't had any major problems, you know, so far. Um, the response to the restaurant's been good. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy. 
I mean, do you ever just like stand in it and just be like, I can't believe this is my. I, I can't restaurant. fucking believe it. Sometimes I'll tell you, like, at, like, you're, like you're the last guy there at night. Or I'm sitting with EJ and, and Fleischman. It's like, man, I can't believe like someone let me do this. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, and for people who haven't met him, I, I just think Chris Fleischman is like one of the like old school front of house. I mean, he's a young guy, but he just has that kind of old school sensibility in the front of house. He remembers people's names. He knows what they like to drink. What's it like working with him? Chris is good. I worked with Chris. I know Chris from Stella Sola. Um, he was a, stir, a server at Stella Sola um, when I was a line cook there. And um, that was like, that was one of my biggest worries was, was finding a good GM for the restaurant, you know, because <clears throat> excuse me i don't know how to run a bar or or do that like i know how to go drink at a bar and and that kind of stuff but i don't know how to uh, so he you know he came in and he he did all that stuff so he's he's been great and he's he's you know he's a good friend of mine i i was lucky to find him i didn't i thought i thought he was um he was still maybe at pax and you know he wasn't so i was luckily to you know i called him as soon as i found out called him like five minutes later and uh, said, you know, hey, we need a guy. Would you like to talk? And he said, yeah. So, you know, things worked out. I think one of the things I really like about Riel is it's an open kitchen. And you can sit at that counter and watch you guys cook. So if something goes wrong, like you can't, you can't go old school. You can't like throw hands hide. And, and yell at people. I haven't, not, you know, like knock on wood again, nothing's really gone wrong. You know, EJ Rutt. You know, he runs most of that place. He does the day-to-day stuff in the kitchen, and, and he has a good handle on everyone there, and he knows what I want and that kind of stuff. So there's not a lot of, you know, me having to, you know, yell at anyone that he can see when things are going wrong. Like, he's another guy that's it's been, that has, um like, you know, beyond expectations. He's He's been great. He does everything there, like absolutely everything. Like, he knows what I want before I even need it. And we've only been working together for, you know, four or five months. Yeah. He's, you know, he's been great. I'm, I'm lucky to, to have the guy. Yeah. I mean, he's someone who brought just a ton of experience. He was the executive chef at Downhouse. He worked for Brandy Key at yeah, Copa know, and Saltair. He opened those big giant restaurants for him. So doing this, you know, we both had to learn, um, how to, how to survive in a smaller atmosphere, how to order properly, how to, you know, cook smaller things and do all that because, you know, the restaurants that I've worked at, the restaurant he's worked at, they've all been big places. So, you, you know, you have, you know, you're ordering, you know, $2,000 worth of fish at a time. You know, when I'm ordering 200 you know, on a, on a busy day. So we had to figure that out, how to how to work on a smaller scale. And he he's done it great, man. That guy, you know, like I said, I, I can't say enough about him. He's, he's done a really good job. I mean, but that small size, I mean, do you, do you like that you can, I mean, you can touch every plate, right? On any given That's, That was the deal. Um, that was the thing when I opened it. I had no desire to open a big restaurant like that. Like I just, I didn't want to do it. Um, you know, we wanted things to be a little bit more intimate and I wanted to be able to see everything go out. I didn't want to get to the point where we were doing 400 covers a night. Like that doesn't inspire me or that doesn't turn me on at all to do that many people. Um, you know, no, I, I mean, it's, it's 65 seats. So if you're doing maybe 120 that's got to be a pretty busy night yeah you know we've we've pushed out um you know 130 140 you know at the most and i guess maybe it's all relative i guess i don't know but um everything comes through me and ej there you know how the line's up and that so we see everything um you know if we don't like it it doesn't go out And, and that's that's that i mean i know i asked you about ingredients a little bit earlier are there other things that you would like to see as you as you get through the first six months and head towards the year mark? Are there are there specific goals that you have for the restaurant? Yeah, I want I want to stay busy. You know? <laughs> that's that's the number one goal. You know, like getting accolades and stuff is is always nice. But you know, once you 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 know you come to the realization that you're a small business owner, that's your number one priority. Like, there's people depending on me. People have jobs. You know, that that are depending on me to. to to pay them on time and do stuff. So yeah, that's what that's our number one thing there is to stay busy and to stay fresh and, you know, for everyone to, to, you know, to be happy. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if everyone that works in your restaurant is happy and the cooks are happy that, um, that the diners can taste it, you know, I think nowadays, um, 
people that go and eat lots, so-called foodies or whatever, they're they're smart. They you know they're they're somewhat intelligent. They know that if they're you know you can't trick them really, you know. So I want the guys. I want us to be proud of the, the product we put out. And I think that you know it'll it'll help us in the long run. And then I know I know you said you're spending just a ton of time at the restaurant. Have you gotten out recently? Have you been to any new restaurants that you liked? I've really been nowhere. Um, you know, it's it's it seems like we've been open forever, but we've only been open for really four months. Yeah, it hasn't been that long. So you know, the majority of my time is is um, it's it's spent there. Um, you know, we can maybe um, and I can't even tell you where if we got out to eat really anywhere now. And then we had Brian Caswell and Jennifer Caswell on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Brian talked about Oxbow 7, his new restaurant. As someone who's worked with him, how excited are you that he's kind of getting back in the game? I'm really bit? excited for him. You know, I've, Brian's been really, really good to me. Um, you know, he's always, um, you know, he's always given me good advice. And, I, you know, I, I talk to him probably more than I talk to anybody about the industry and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I'm excited that, that he's, you know, that he's doing something like that because, I know a lot of people that know about Brian, you know, he's what Reese's been over for 10 years. You know, he has these other things. Brian's like, Brian's actually a really good cook. Like he's a good line cook. And when it was funny, um, I remember when I first started working there as a cook to see him, you know, he's also, he's a big dude. He can, he can get on the line and he, he can move, you know, like he can, you know, if you're in trouble there, he can bail you up. So Brian's a good cook. And I think a lot of people in town are, have been waiting for this for a while to see him kind of do something, you know, like this. All right. Well, Ryan Lashane, thank you so much for joining me. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at RLAC, R-L-A-C-H. You can follow him on Instagram at RLashane, L-A-C-H-A-I-N-E. What's the Instagram handle for Riel? It's um, Riel Houston. So on Instagram at Riel Houston, on the web at Riel HTX. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can rate us and leave us a comment. But as Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Eddie.